Thank you very much. I'll start the questions. Uh, uh, Assistant Secretary Freyhage, um, access to federal lands that contain tribal sacred sites uh, is an important exercise of the government-to-government -government relationship, but sometimes simple access is not enough, particularly for the Karuk tribe, which doesn't have a big land base. So how does this bill strike the appropriate balance between tribal and federal interests? Yeah, I think uh, the bill does strike a strong balance between the two. We think it's consistent with the joint secretarial order signed by the Secretaries of the Interior and Agriculture, uh, number 3403, which uh, sets the direction for co-stewardship, co-management between the tribes and land management agencies. Um, I think up front, it's also important to recognize that federal interest does include you know, trust responsibilities of the tribes, including, including the sacred lands. And so uh, we take that into account, obviously, along with the important responsibilities of land management bureaus. And when you consider the sacred uh, land, the importance to the tribe, as Chairman Atterbury noted, that this is the center of their world. Um, and the bill then taking the step of um, ensuring that the wild and uh, scenic river components continue to be managed by the chief of the Forest Service allows for co-management. And then through the requirement of having an MOU with the Forest Service and the Karuk tribe, that allows them to make sure they're on the same wavelength to ensure that you have that appropriate balance. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Deputy Director Smith, um, you know Native Hawaiians receive health care through HHS uh, as a result of the, as an expression of the federal government's trust responsibility, but HHS doesn't have an official a consultation or confer policy that applies to Native Hawaiians at the moment. Do you need a statute in order to do that? Uh, thank you for the, the question, um, uh, Chair Schatz. Um, I, can, I can speak from the Indian Health Service and, and uh, the department, uh, department level with regard to the tribal consultation policy as it pertains to um, federally recognized Indian tribes. That's certainly a question that we could take back, but uh, through the well, but I mean, let, let's be let, let's be crisp here, right? Native Hawaiians don't have tribal recognition. Native Hawaiians are not currently pursuing tribal recognition. What we're saying is that under the trust responsibility, because there's money being pushed out, is there some way to get at conferring without having to hang your hook on a government-to-government -government relationship, but rather the trust relationship? Seems to me that you have the flexibility to express the idea, nothing about me without me, um, without having to try to make a square peg fit into a round hole. Correct, so similar to uh, what's at play with the proposed bill HR 5221, where uh, other operating divisions outside of the Indian Health Service do not have a specific legal requirement. Um, there's nothing preventing them from conferring, but there's not no, requirement or policy that allows them to initiate uh, consult confer. They're not allowed to do it? Uh, there's nothing preventing them from doing that. There's nothing preventing them from doing it. Certainly. And then you say there's no statute that allows them to do it? That sounds like the lack of a statute prevents them from being able to do it. There, there's no statute to my knowledge that yeah, I mean, it seems to me that if an agency wants to confer, they can confer. And if using certain legal terms triggers a widespread freakout, we can use different words. But the point is, right, 
that to the extent that there's a trust responsibility, nothing about me without me. And the Biden administration, it seems to me, has a perfect legal right to express that through an internal memorandum, a new rule, um, a directive from the, de from the director of the department or one of the agencies. This is not, I, I think we're overcomplicating this. And I think there are a bunch of people who are going, gosh, they're not a tribe, so we can't. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is to the extent that there are agencies and organizations that receive funding from HHS, they should be consulted with. And I'm hoping we can work together on this. We're happy to work with you on it. Thank you. Uh, thank you uh, very much. Uh, final question for this round. Chairman Clark, uh, um, you've testified um, about the difficulties your tribe has encountered as a result of water shortages. How does this settlement help? Well, thank you for that question. Uh, this will help because on one side of the reservation, we have not even looked at we on the east side and with the drought as we're looking at today we are very very short on water like i said earlier our water on the on the wells have depleted and some uh, the wells also collapse so now we're taking water from a fire hydrant putting it in a truck trucking it to another area for it to get out to Grand Canyon West. In the meantime, our, our community is suffering because we're taking water from the community to go out there. And if, a, if our water truck breaks down or has a flat, then we have to fix that. And again, we're, we're short on water because there's no water going out there. On the east side of the reservation, we haven't I mean, we've talked about it, but we need to get water on the east side as well, not just on the west side in the community, but also on the east side. So this would really help. Thank you very much. Vice Chair Murkowski. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And Chairman Clark, thank you for that. It sounds like a not an ideal situation as you're, as you're looking to literally truck water from a fire hydrant. Let me ask you, um, Mr. Fry Hoggy, the... The Wallopi tribe has been working on completing this water settlement for nearly a decade now. In, in 2016, I recall that the tribe and, it, and the state partner reached an agreement on phase two. The federal agencies at the time did not support it. Now we've got an agreement with the federal negotiating team and Interior is, is testifying in support of this. What, what happened? What, what transpired there in the settlement that in allowed Interior to, to now get behind the statement? I know, uh, I believe one of the factors was on uh, the looking a little more narrow, the, the focusing of the looking at the impacts of groundwater uses um, and how that could, the ability to, to narrow that so that we'd had a better surety about the, there would truly be wet water rights for the tribe um, at the end of the process. And I believe that was one of the critical factors. Um, the chairman asked you a, a question um, uh, about the, uh, the MOU bet between the Karak tribe. I raised the issue of Forest Service uh, in my opening. Um, your testimony states that the department supports agreements with Indian tribes to collaborate in the co-stewardship of federal waters under the jurisdiction of DOI and, and AG. Um, this is now, this legislation is directing the chief of the Forest Service and the tribe to enter into an MOU um, to protect uh, and enhance wild and scenic river, river systems. 
all done in cooperation with the tribe. So in addition to the MOUs, do you need any other tools um, to support the co-stewardship of, of lands and waters with the tribes? And just an example I would raise is the 638 contracts uh, under ISDIA, under the Indian Self-Determination Act. They also promote co-stewardship. Um, is this something that could be helpful in this case? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think the, the more that other federal agencies beyond, especially Indian Affairs, IHS, uh, can use 638 contracting, uh, self-governance compacting mechanisms, it's a great tool to allow to engage in tribes and, and partnerships for co-stewardship, co-management. Um, another key factor is in our 2023 budget, we have a $14.8 million uh, funding request for uh, land acquisition for tribes. Um, that could be a tool also where tribes could be uh, purchasing lands that end up with some joint strategies with federal agencies. Uh, a key part of that is funding, and then the other part is uh, to be able to do that, we need the, uh, there's a cert currently an annual cap on land acquisition funding that goes back to the 1934 Indian Reorganization Act. So if we could get that lifted to at least the amount we're requesting, uh, plus the 638 contracting and OSG and self-governance compacting, those would be two significant steps forward. Okay. okay. Um, it's been mentioned that, that Interior, well, along with the rest of the, the, the government, has, of course, a, a, a trust responsibility to tribes. How, how is the Department of Interior going to be involved in, in upholding that trust responsibility as the tribe and Forest Service negotiate this MOU that's mandated under the, the legislation? Uh, I uh, hopefully I think because of the, the structure sort of set up in the Joint Secretary Order 3403 with Interior and Agriculture, it outlines a lot of the best practices and policies we can provide for continuing to engage as uh, with the tribe in our trust responsibility, along with the Forest Service, to ensure that that balance is found between the federal and tribal interests. So it would be consistently engaged. Okay, uh, Mr. Smith, you. You gave a, a pretty good uh, outline there um, uh, about this this whole process uh, within HHS for tribal consultation and the development of the confer policy. I don't know that I actually heard you say whether or not you whether HHS actually supports the bill. I think you said that you stand ready to provide. Uh, technical assistance, but what what is the position of, of HHS on uh, on um, HR five two 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 one? Yes, thank you very much for the the question. Yeah, in its declaration of national Indian health policy, Congress has specifically declared that it's the policy of the nation to ensure the highest possible health status for Indians and urban Indians. And the Department of Health and Human Services is committed to working with Indian and urban Indian communities to meet this policy. However, as I mentioned, only the Indian Health Service has a legal obligation to confer with urban Indian organizations. And we're the only agency within HHS and federal government at this time that has Im implemented a formal um, confer process. So at this time, I cannot speak for our departmental colleagues, but what, ca what I can tell you is that we have found the process to be successful and beneficial we're happy to provide technical assistance to you. I think that's kind of maybe a soft support. They think it's going to work. Actually, you know it can work. Um, uh, 
I'm going to mark that down as a maybe. Um, Mr. Chairman, my time's expired. Let's follow up together. Sure. Senator Smith. Thank you. I appreciate your question, Senator Murkowski, and your, um, your response as well, Senator Schatz. Um, Mr. Smith, um, and I'll, I'll just say, I'll just say that we have been working with the Department of Health and Human Services for a long time trying to get a definitive, yes, we support this, and we have so far been unsuccessful in getting that. However, we have, um, I think, testimony today that, um, that, was, that spoke to the power of consultation with urban indigenous communities, and um, I think that it is an obvious um, next step that that uh, confer process with other parts of the Department and Human Services would also be useful and um, and valuable. And so um, I would just, Mr. Smith, um, ask as you return to the Department of Health and Human Services that you tell them that we are um, e eager to work with the department and we would appreciate it if we could get um, speedy responses and, and, and fast technical support so that we can understand if there are any issues with the legislation so that we can resolve them in order to move it forward. Would, will you make that commitment to me? Uh, thank you, Senator Smith. Uh, absolutely, we'll take that back and uh, coordinate. Okay. All right. Um, let me go to uh, Dr. Rock, if I may. I'm so grateful to you for joining us today, and I think you're in a great position to help us to understand some of the issues that urban indigenous um, um, organizations have had that could be resolved by this kind of confer process. So um, one example that comes to mind, um, Dr. Rock, is that is a... Um, um, an issue um, around data sharing. So uh, Senator Murkowski and I actually have a piece of legislation, um, the urban Indian health, um, the, 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 excuse me, let me, I got that wrong. We, we have a piece of legislation that would, that would get at making sure that the Department of Health and Human Services is sharing public health data with epidemiology centers, tribal epidemiology centers, urban indigenous organizations. Um, Dr. Rock, could you just tell us how this kind of public data sharing um, with the CDC, for example, would help you in the work that you're doing? Certainly, it um, it would help at multiple levels. Uh, I think you know, take for example with uh, ARC, uh, you know, with research and patient safety, uh, those are areas that I think we, uh, you know, could make a lot of strides, especially with uh, folks like CDC. Uh, with vaccine distribution and right. and things like CARES appropriations um, pieces, uh, and also including things like um, uh, missing and in, in, uh, murdered Indigenous uh, people. Uh, that's something you know. Data is, is key to uh, start addressing some of these issues, especially folks like uh, out in Seattle with UIHI and the the, epi, uh, the epicenter there. And so having um, transparent and free flow of information helps all of our urban Indian health organizations. We are really in a key, uh, a key place to address some of these issues. Yeah, thank you very much. I think that um, I completely agree with you. You raised in your testimony the issue of um, um, the issue of the 100% FMAP policy, and we worked hard in uh, the American Rescue Plan to deliver $84 million in direct funds and two years of 100% federal medical assistance percentage for services to urban indigenous um, organizations, and yet we know that there have been issues with implementation that I think have affected UIOs in every state. Dr. Rock, can you just let us know a little bit about what that looks like in Minnesota and how appropriate consultation 
um, might have made this um, problem a lot easier to resolve. Certainly. Thank you, Senator. Uh, so, in fact, about over 20 years of my time have been focused on this issue of 100% FMAP, uh, at least bringing payment parity to uh, urban Indian health organizations, especially during a time of COVID. Uh, for the last 15 months, um, since the FMAP provisions were enacted, um, we, of course, have been working uh, with uh, Senator Smith's office, uh, as well as our, our governor's office, uh, on how to make this a reality. Uh, unfortunately, we have yet to see um, really any type of activity or actually reimbursement occur uh, utilizing the 100% AFMAP uh, through the federal system, uh, which is extremely, extremely disappointing, I need to tell you. Uh, we continue to, to seek out uh, solutions uh, moving forward, but I think we're going to need help uh, with our state partners as well as our federal partners, including CMS. Uh, this would be a point, an important point to have access and conferring with CMS. Thank you. Also. And I, I know that um, you all are not alone in having that challenge with um, FMAP reimbursement. And again, if there had been good consultation across all of Department of Health and Human Services, that I think um, would have been easier to resolve on issues of data sharing, 100% FMAP. I would say also federally qualified health center issues. All of those would be easier to resolve if we had good, um, the kind of consultation that our bill would, um, would require. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. Thank you, uh, Senator Smith. Senator Hoven, are you ready for your questions? We'll be in just a minute. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Did you need me to stall for a, a moment? Yeah, for like 30 seconds. Just, the, you know, kind of survey the terrain here. No, we're good. Senator Hoven. Thank, thanks, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to witnesses. Uh, for uh, Deputy Director Smith, um, the Urban Health uh, Urban Indian Health Center Act requires the Department of Health and Human Services to confer with uh, urban Indian organizations. So does HHS and its agencies and uh, offices currently confer with urban Indian organizations on an informal basis? Uh, thank you for the question, Senator Hoven. Um, as, as I just mentioned right now, or previously, um, at, at this time, the Indian Health Service is the only federal agency that has the legal obligation to confer with urban Indian organizations, and as such, is the only uh, federal agency within the department that has a formal uh, policy and process. But ha having said that, there have been instances where the Indian Health Service has um, initiated urban confer on behalf of other um, uh, federal uh, agencies within the department in, in uh, seeking input on, on their behalf. Uh, so I hope that answers your question. Well, I'm wondering what impact formal consultation, you know, would have between HHS and urban Indian organizations. So, I mean, let's talk about how that's going to change and, and the fact that it goes from informal to formal and, and, you know, how you think that affects things. Uh, what I can share with you from the Indian Health Service experience is certainly by developing a policy. Well, first, by, by having uh, conferred defined in statute, uh, which the Indian Health Care um, Improvement Act does, it defines uh, confer as, as um, 
the, a form of communication uh, that emphasizes trust, respect, and shared responsibility and open exchange of opinions. So that means that two entities are going to be listening to each other and how they're gonna listen. Uh, we further developed policy around establishing what we're gonna talk about. So what you'd find in our policy is a critical event. And to give you an example, uh, throughout the pandemic, uh, uh, Congress provided several supplemental um, uh, packages that required funding decisions that had a huge impact on urban Indian organizations. And so we engaged in our policy in, um, in, in uh, invoking our uh, policy to confer with urban Indian organizations to solicit their input uh, prior to making those funding decisions. And uh, we believe that that did have an impact um, on the manner in which we made those decisions. Do you have other examples? Another example, one that's actually occurring right now, and, and we are very thankful to uh, uh, the members of the Senate that signed a letter uh, to the uh, Biden administration earlier this year uh, requesting that the, agent, that the administration consider the formation of an urban interagency uh, 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 work group. Uh, certainly uh, that made its way down through the department, and in May, uh, we sent a letter uh, through uh, our acting director, Ms. Fowler, to Senator Padilla saying that we would initiate urban confer to look at an exploration of an urban interagency task force on behalf of, of, of government. And so just uh, recently, uh, earlier this month, we held our first um, urban confer session to hear directly from urban Indian organizations on what that would look like. And so we're actively in that process. and. Uh, we'll look to uh, going through our process to see what comes from the exploration of that idea of formulating an interagency uh, workforce dedicated to urban Indian organizations. So then you think that setting that up as a formal process through legislation like this would strengthen that process and be of benefit? Um, any other thoughts on it? What we've experienced through the Indian Health Service, again, is that it really helps to identify uh, critical issues and necessary input at the area, local, and national levels on uh, what is deemed as a critical um, event, whether it's uh, a budget uh, policy issue or those items that are outlined in our policy. And we're happy to provide additional uh, technical assistance to you on this matter. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Hoven. If there are no more questions for our witnesses, members may also submit follow-up written questions for the record. The hearing record will be open for two weeks. I want to thank all of the witnesses for their time and their testimony. This hearing is adjourned.